I think the notion that you, you know, eventually you get to the right spot and then that's how it's going to be forever. I don't know that that's realistic anymore as the rate at which things are changing accelerates. So it's kind of having a different mindset about change itself and then definitely trying to find the people that thrive in that sort of environment. Software has come a long way in the last decade or so. When I started my first business as a professional organizer in 2006, it was pretty manual. Back then, my business systems consisted of a website, I think maybe it was Weebly, Quicken, a label maker, some file folders, and printed out checklists. I needed physical signatures on all of my contracts. I took checks as payment because, well, there wasn't an easy way to process credit cards. It was pre-Stripe and pre-Square. I had a fax number. Even when I started ScaleSpark four years ago, the world of apps and software tools was still pretty untapped and unknown. Knowing that Zapier existed and being able to harness its power to connect two apps together made it seem a little bit to my clients like I had superpowers. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. Now, it might seem like it was a simpler time before. We didn't have to know about all the new bells and whistles. There was less to keep up with, and our systems were inherently simpler. But they were also cumbersome, inefficient, expensive, and the idea of building a software tool around exactly what you needed it to do was only available to big companies with big custom development budgets. Now we have apps and tools that can solve just about any problem in your small business with the click of a button, pretty inexpensively. We can automate and streamline our workflows and take advantage of technology to operate a very lean, very profitable service business using tools that you don't need a degree in coding to figure out. I'm talking about no-code or low-code tools, which means that the tools have been built specifically to enable you, someone with no background or experience in building software, to build your own custom tools. Some of these tools you might be pretty familiar with, tools like Airtable, Webflow, Zapier, ClickUp. The list is pretty long now. But what it means for you is the ability to customize the tools you use in your business to exactly your specifications and needs. And those tools are very, very powerful when it comes to operating a service business. They can be the key to you taking some time off, and knowing that your systems are still flowing, clients are still being taken care of, your team knows exactly what to do. When really harnessed, no-code tools can be the thing that lets you scale to 2 million plus with two team members. I've seen it happen. And all this month, we're going to be talking about the different ways you can harness these no-code tools to increase your operational capacity, attract new clients, and add new evergreen revenue streams and ultimately grow your business. And to kick us off, I brought one of my accounting friends who also happens to be a huge fan of no-code tools, Jason Stats. Jason is a CPA in Salem, Oregon. He's a principal at Brenner LLP, which is an accounting firm by day, and he's an accounting tech enthusiast by night. Jason spent his first 10 years in the profession in tax and now has spent about the last five years running a remote accounting team working with staff and clients across the country. 
He's especially interested in the intersection of the accounting industry and emergent technology. Specifically, how we can turn the automation kind of doom and gloom narrative on its head and show accountants how to proactively leverage new technology. And as you may have heard me talking about here on the show before, accounting is one of those industries that is ripe for automation. There's a lot of work that's pretty much the same and you do it over and over. So if you think about preparing someone's taxes, it goes a little bit like this. You request the documents from the client, you review them, you load everything into the tax software, you create the return, you get them to sign the return, you process the payment, you e-file the return and then repeat again next year. Now, this is a simplified version, of course, but there's a lot of time spent on collecting information and then following the same process over and over. And that's probably not all that different from your business either. You probably spend a lot of time collecting information, putting it into your systems, and then using that information to do what you need to do. And that means it's a place where technology can step in, not to replace the job of the accountant or of an administrative assistant, but to take out the boring administrative stuff that's not actually what that person is there to do, which they're there to provide their expertise. And one of Jason's focuses at his accounting firm is on figuring out ways to harness no-code and low-code tools to make that workflow more efficient, because the more efficient the workflow, the more clients you can serve with the same amount of staff, and the more profitable you can be. Jason's built some really cool tools that apply not just to accounting and bookkeeping, but will also hopefully generate some ideas for you and your business about where there are potential opportunities to improve your internal processes. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for being here today. You bet. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. I'm a big fan of your pod, so this this is going to be super fun. Yeah, I'm excited too. So... I know that you have done a ton of work at your accounting firm using no code or low code tools to kind of streamline, automate workflows, and that you've been sharing that publicly. Mm -hmm. um, but you're really doing what I like to call productizing delivery. So you're turning the delivery of client services into this product that can be replicated or automated. So tell me some of your, either your favorite or the most effective projects that you've implemented in or invested in. Oh, where to start? You know, in my industry in accounting, there there's always um, a talent shortage. There's a shortage of people with really good technical tax knowledge. And I think and, and so how we started out on this path was almost out of necessity. So how do we how do we systematize as much as possible? Because I think if you don't systematize, you rely on expertise to kind of fill in the gaps. So if there's a big difference that it's made for us, it's really in our ability to find the talent that we need to serve clients. We've got like 3,500 clients across the country and our technical staff is, is the one that you know bears the brunt of what makes us unique and what makes us really good at the technical stuff. And so, um, what it's enabled us to do kind of pivoting towards productization is rely less on that expertise, which is limited and really hard to find uh, and carve out the aspects of what we do that aren't really technical um, so that we can do a better job for our clients and let our let our technical staff focus on the stuff they're really good at. 
So one of the, um, I think, I think you shared it on Twitter. One of the workflows that you kind of posted how you how you do it is was automating communication around um, following up with clients and managing client communication, both requesting documents, but kind of Mm -hmm. just a hey, we did your taxes last year. What about, you know, this year? And I think in the accounting industry, certainly something I've noticed as an accounting client um, is that there's a real lack of um, going out and getting sales or continuing to communicate with clients. And so I love the aspect of how you managed to um, kind of automate that to make sure that it is one, both happening, um, but two, that it's happening really effectively. So can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, I, you know, email marketing tools have come such a long ways and you can do really cool, you know, um, really cool kind of kind of journeys that are contextual based on, did somebody open the email? Did somebody click on a link in the email? And it's something that's, you know, leveraged right now by advertisers, but has so many applications beyond generating sales. Specifically in an accounting firm, there's a few times a year where we send out a blanket email to several thousand clients, you know, the normal kind of annual stuff like here's kind of the to-do list, here's where you sign your engagement letter, that sort of thing. And across across really any size client base, the amount of work that just goes into following up with those people and and making sure they did this to do that they forgot is crazy if you think about it. And it it turns out this is actually a great application for these kind of automated journeys is we can kind of set up this branching logic based on what they've done and what they haven't done. You know, if they if they haven't even opened the email after a couple of weeks, we can we can resend that email automatically. And then if they haven't opened that in a week, you know, we can ping an admin person to give them a call and say, Hey, what's the best email to reach you at? Um, so it's, it's a really interesting technology, but it's not really being leveraged by anybody outside that marketing bubble right now. And so for me here in, in just the next couple of weeks, we're really looking at tax planning, making sure everybody's taxes paid in before the end of the year. And that's a similar process where we kind of put that email out there because we got to gather some information from our clients. But how can we do that, um, you know, to a to a decent number of people without having, you know, technical accountants or me spending time figuring out, okay, who's gotten us this, who hasn't gotten us anything, who do I need to send a follow up email to? That's not adding value to anybody if I'm if I'm spending my time on that. So it's a great example of of a way you can use tech that isn't, you know, dehumanizing because that's really not a valuable part of the process. Yeah, and I love the idea of using this software that most of the time we think about email marketing software as um, marketing software, you know, specifically to, uh, you know, write to our lists or keep folks nurtured. And I love the idea of using it in to to really help streamline the transactional part of client services where, you know, a lot of the times we're all working with clients and we have to, you know, get this piece of information or, you know, what do you think about this? And being able to leverage technology like um, ConvertKit or ActiveCampaign marketing mm-hmm. software that really lets you build those workflows and communicate in a really like you mentioned, a really human way. It doesn't have to be impersonal and 
transactional. It can be personal and, you know, high touch, but it doesn't, that doesn't have to happen on an individual basis. It can be high touch. It can feel high touch without you personally sending that email to everybody. Yeah. And I mean, it's virtually any service business um, experiences this. And when you really dig into the types of communications you have on an ongoing basis, there's so many recurring requests and just tracking down information. Um, it's helpful for me if I if I kind of value map that whole process and say, okay, of all of all of the things that myself or my accountants are doing or asking for, how much of that is just administrative? I need this thing from you. I need that thing from you. Um, we built another framework in in Airtable basically that um, tracks recurring and one-off client requests for these things that maybe we don't have a way to get them automatically every month or every quarter, so we just need them to provide that to us. Um, And so we've basically got a database set up and then based on the date we want those requests to go out, uh, we dynamically generate type forms for those clients that ask all those requests in a single form um, and then kind of in a similar way, it'll follow up with them if, if they haven't gotten that stuff to us. Um, because if you amass very many clients and you know, you're in an industry like ours where you can't automate all that data collection automatically, before you know it, you've got people whose full-time job is just pestering their clients for information. And yeah. no, nobody enjoys that. That's soul-sucking for, for my team and for the client. Nobody likes that. Well, and you're you're wasting your team's expertise on something that really a human does not need to be doing. Right. So one of the other things that I think is really interesting that you've been doing is automating um, reporting a little bit, automating some dashboards, some client yeah. snapshots. Can you talk a little bit about um, about that process and kind of what drove you to do that and how you actually executed it? Yeah, so I'm. This is probably. I was working on this just this morning with my team. I'm probably most excited about this right now. Um, so, if you think about the normal cycle of advising your clients or the people in your community, whoever it is, there's normally kind of that cyclical feedback loop where you're meeting with them every month, every quarter, and there's usually some sort of set of KPIs. You know, the goals that you keep coming back to to see are you hitting your targets what's happening that you know is keeping you from doing that and usually that's looking back on you know a previous period of results to see if you hit those targets and that's good and i think honestly 90% of businesses still aren't doing that but when you get there you know the business owner that you're usually talking with they're not the sole owner of that KPI usually there's other people other influences that um, are impacting that result. And so it, in some ways, a lot of times it can actually put undue pressure on the business owner um, to you know, assume ownership of all of these responsibilities simply because the reporting comes back on them. So something that we're doing, we're calling scorecarding, is we're generating very small, very simple scorecards on oftentimes a daily basis for all of the stakeholders that are involved in those KPIs. So if you have 10 KPIs, you know, upstream of each of those KPIs, there's probably 
five or 10 stakeholders that are doing things that impact that KPI result, well, it's a lot better to distribute ownership of that result across all of those people. But normally it would be a tremendous amount of work to do you know, any sort of reporting on a shorter turnaround. So what we're actually doing is we're leveraging a, an image generation API. And so we've got these kind of scorecards that go out to everybody. And then an admin person uh, at the business either uploads a CSV of the results every day or fills out an Airtable form. That data comes into the system and then Integramat automatically sends out all of those scorecards to everybody involved, you know, via SMS or a Slack channel or email or whatever makes the most sense. And that's totally automated. So the only the only input there is the person providing that data and then that scorecarding goes out. Um, and it's a way of kind of distributing ownership of those KPIs. Um, yeah, and if you think about what that advisory relationship looks like, I mean, it's tremendously valuable to our clients um, because it's actually happening every day. People are people are taking ownership. It's an opportunity for the business owner to be explicit about here's exactly what I need from you every day, um, and we're able to do it in an automated way. Whereas before, it would have taken a tremendous amount of effort to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, which so what tools are you actually using to do that? You're doing Integramat, Airtable. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the image generation API. Is that Builder Bear? Banner Bear, yeah. So so the data comes in via Airtable, and that's client facing. So the client completes the Airtable form, and then it it basically pings Integramat when that when that form has been completed. When there's a new record there. And then Integramat hands that data off to BannerBear, which is the image generation API. So basically, BannerBear is just a way to design a visual template with variables. And those variables can be numbers. Those variables can be images. So for example, if, if we're comparing this week's result to the previous result, I can have an image in there that's like a green up arrow versus a down up versus a down red arrow. So it's like the the whole scorecard you can kind of um, design in a dynamic way. And then Banner Bear hands that image back to Integramat. And then uh, depending on the recipient, which I've got stored in another Airtable uh, base, it goes out to you know via SMS through Twilio or to a Slack channel, email, something like that. Um, that's, that's the really, the really nerdy nuts and bolts. The exciting thing to me is, you know, it's quick to set up for clients. We can actually set up the scorecards in a bespoke way pretty quickly. And the cost to generate, uh, an image is a quarter of one cent. Mm. So <laughs> the arbitrage on that, if you think about the value of the reporting to your clients is, is pretty pretty wild but um it's becoming kind of almost an essential part of our our advising kind of feedback loop yeah absolutely so i think the other project that i've seen you share that i think is really interesting because we are all completely exhausted by the multitude of zoom calls we're all having to be <laughs> on now is that you have been using miro which is kind of a collaboration software originally it started as like a 
flow charting software, I think is how most people kind of think about it. Yeah. Uh, but you have been using this for interactive meetings. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, Miro is really interesting. So I was talking with their community manager the other day and, and she was telling me um, they actually started out as a tool for role playing games. Okay. So uh, it started out with, you know, a very, very specific type of user base. And then they kind of pivoted to flow charting. And now I don't I don't know what you call them because it's basically no, just an, an infinite canvas where you can do all the normal flow chart type things, but you can also embed things into it. So like you can embed, you know, an Airtable base or something like that into it. So it it's really interesting. I, I got turned on to it by their, they have a user group playlist on their YouTube where people do some really, really interesting things. You can kind of design these whole sort of experiences that you go through with your team um, that is just so much better than a, a boring Zoom meeting. Uh, so for example, you know, if if you're gonna have a a meeting on a certain topic with your team and and work together to try to kind of figure out a problem, you could either sit around and talk on it, uh, talk about it on Zoom, and everybody else has probably been on Zoom all day and they're kind of fried, or you can you can visually figure out what's the best way and kind of a you know, in a tactile way to work through the problem in Miro together. And we're all still on Zoom talking to each other, but you can see everybody's cursors working in Miro. You can see everybody throwing post-its up different places and jotting down notes and everything's happening simultaneously. So it's actually massively more efficient too than kind of throwing the ball around and, and talking through that stuff. But it's fascinating. You know, you can get entire templates that people have spent tons of time on and you know you can play monopoly you can do kanban it's like everything you can imagine um my use case is we virtually never do just zoom meetings anymore we almost always do miro as well so that everybody's engaged and involved in the process um it's actually got some really fascinating client facing applications as well um, and so we're doing some kind of some process discovery, uh, because we've learned that's something that we're pretty good at is, is helping people with their processes and, and automate that stuff. Cool. Yeah. I think it's, um, the applications that you can apply to these no code tools within a business are really unlimited and super interesting. Yeah. Is it worth it? Every small business owner wants to know that the money they spend on their businesses is worth it, that their investments produce results and help them grow. But if you don't know your business finances in and out, it's hard to know whether those expenses and investments are really worth it. Plenty of business owners, even the successful ones, feel like they're shooting in the dark when it comes to how they spend, save, and invest their money. Like you, they wonder if the ads they're buying, the software they're investing in, or the people they're paying are really paying off. And that's stressful. Feeling unsure about how you're spending or investing your money might be common, but it sure isn't fun. I want something different for you. I want you to feel confident that every decision you make is guided by your financial intel. I want you to be able to decide 
what actions to take to grow your business from a place of confidence and purpose, not panic, so that you can feel masterful at managing your money instead of inept or just plain scared. I want you to know exactly what's working so you can go all in and make your money make more money. This is what I do for business owners when I step in as their chief financial officer on demand. I help them parse the numbers, look for opportunities, and invest where it counts. We get clear on where they're getting in their own way and where the math just doesn't add up. And now I wanna teach you to do the same for your own business, because trust me, you can. Join me for Think Like a CFO. It's a four month accelerator, online workshop, and small group coaching program where I'll work alongside you so you can start thinking like a CFO and know that every penny you spend on your business is worth it. You'll dig into your relationship to money, put your financial data at your fingertips, and build systems of cash flow, taxes, and budgeting. I'll help you integrate your financial knowledge into your operational systems and technology so that your whole business works better. And by the end, you'll feel wildly capable with your money. Think Like a CFO is starting soon. So go to scalespark.co slash CFO to get all the information and sign up. I can't wait to work with you. Talk to me a little bit about kind of the overall impact of having invested in this kind of technology for your firm. What what impacts have you seen financially, operationally, scaling ability? What does that look like for you? It's a it's admittedly a tough thing to approach in a in a way that's going to work for everybody. So we we have you know thirty something like thirty five people in our firm now, and. Uh, it's definitely a process to get people thinking in terms of what's possible um, because it it can't I think I think if there's one big change no code is is going to is going to force it's that you know in the past you had your CTO there was the tech person and then there was everybody else um, and Airtable's funding around this last week they said you know we're, we're pushing forward with the vision that, we're all developers. And so that's the big change, I think, is that everybody needs to kind of be on that journey. Not not that they're gonna be exceptional with every single tool, but they at least need to have enough of an understanding to identify the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most, you know, profound profound impact you can have. We're kind of headed into this like this sort of personal productivity age where people are are pulling in Zapier for this and that and starting to do these things that make themselves significantly more efficient. And so, you know, if I can make myself twice as efficient in 18 months, man, I can't I can't be the CTO on the sideline that's reserving that for myself. That's something that everybody needs to learn how to do. So, that's the mindset I have and so it's a, it's a long journey because you've got You've got people on different ends of the spectrum in terms of their comfort level with this sort of thing. But I think if you're really leveraging it, um, it's something that becomes kind of a culture of your business is mm-hmm. people having having an understanding of of this stuff, which takes time. Um, otherwise, you've got, you know, this little team of 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 geeks like myself in the corner kind of doing things that nobody else understands. And if that's the case, I don't think you're you're really leveraging it to the potential that it can be leveraged. So 
It's interesting. I mean, there's so much changing so fast. Um, we're still learning how, you know, we know how profoundly this is impacting us and that ex that can extend to our clients. And I think it's probably just a matter of time. So we kind of have the privilege right now of being the one to introduce our clients to that. And so it's, it you kind of got to rack your brain to, to figure out what's the best way to to start your, you know, your, your clients that you work with on this journey. Um, because the type of, the type of gains we can see in our business would be, you know, massively beneficial to our clients. So it's, it's kind of a paradigm shifting, um, concept, I think. And so it's, it's not as simple as flipping a switch and saying, okay, you're going to be the no code person. I think, I think it's more than that. And, and everybody has to kind of play a part in it. Yeah. And I think when you expose um, kind of the organization as a whole to the potential of these kind of tools, you get some really creative and interesting ways that you can think about using them that maybe, you know, you wouldn't have thought of because it doesn't necessarily apply to your part of the workflow or your job. Mm -hmm. um, I think when everybody kind of understands how much potential you can get from using no code tools, it's just mind blowing what people can come up with. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, the flip side of that, so RPA, um, robotic process automation, I think that's what it is. It's been around for, you know, five or so years, and it's a really, really cool technology that lets you build kind of bots to manage things on your desktop. But the adoption has been really, really slow. And the approach in the RPA industry has been, you gotta, you gotta designate a couple implementation champions and then they kind of sit and watch over everybody else's shoulder to see what they do and it hasn't caught on because i don't feel like that's that's a way that you're really going to um initiate change i think i think it's something that needs to be de democratized more than that mm -hmm. um rather than you know somebody recording everything they do all day long and then somebody trying to come along after the fact and capture the nuance of that i don't think that's realistic so it's a it's a it's a whole kind of journey that that we're all on and on different different places on that journey but as a service business that advises other clients what an awesome opportunity to be the one to introduce them to that concept yeah i mean that's absolutely my favorite part of my job <laughs> <laughs> so how do you kind of approach new projects, new ideas when it comes to implementing them? And how do you kind of manage the change? How do you manage that push-pull of always trying to be more efficient and get more efficient with processes constantly changing and people being uncomfortable with things changing? Yeah, um, you know, the people is, is a big part of it. Um, I've learned you have to you have to try to identify the people that that thrive in, in a, in kind of a culture of change for sure. Um, and so, you know, having, having made the mistake of, of hiring people that are not that way, it's something that's become very important when we're adding anybody to the team. But, you know, I think, I think the rate at which things are changing right now is, is, is the, the problem or the opportunity, depending on how you look at it. So, the old the old model of of top down organizational tech is kind of out the window. You know the notion that we're going to get to the right solution and then that's going to be it. We're going to stop there. 
I think the rate at which things are changing, that's that's no longer realistic. The other thing that you have is you have almost a bottom-up tech adoption uh, mm-hmm. opportunity. So you've got these these um, kind of unicorns that can can leverage tools and be exponentially more productive on a on a bottom-up basis. But then, how do you manage that organizationally? You know, from security standpoint, stuff like that. It's a it's a why in my mind it's a great rationale for why smaller kind of more agile groups are always going to be more capable than 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 the big kind of enterprise groups but it's rather than you kind of have to come out of the model of okay we're going through a period of change changing this thing and and three to six months will be done i think you have to come out of that model and accept that change is just part of your business and there's people that that own change there's people that are looking at identifying the most high value change because you can only do so much at a time but that's kind of just another vertical of your business now i Mm -hmm. I think the i think the notion that that you you know eventually you get to the right spot and then that's how it's going to be forever i don't know that that's realistic anymore as the rate at which things are changing accelerates um so it's kind of having a different mindset about change itself and then and then definitely trying to find the people that that thrive in that sort of environment. So as you have kind of automated things and pulled things out for, you know, administrative tasks for computers to help you kind of implement, mm-hmm. have you encountered a lot of resistance from folks where you're, you know, taking away part of their job. You know, this is our fear from that, that they keep telling us that we're all going to lose our jobs to automation. And while I don't actually believe that's true, I think we'll lose the boring parts of all of our jobs. Um, Have you encountered a lot of resistance when you're like, Hey, we're gonna, you know, automate this process. So you don't have to do it anymore to people feel like you're taking part of their jobs or how have you managed that kind of communication transition piece. Yeah. If you look at it two different ways with kind of that RPA example I gave, if you look at it as here's this wizard that's going to sit over your shoulder and figure out how to automate what you're doing versus here's this really compelling new technology that I, that I want to like come alongside you and help you learn. I think it kind of takes care of that problem uh, because it's not, it's not a, you know, we've got a few wizards in the corner that are going to do all of this and we'll see who we need. We'll see who we need after we've got it all rolled out. It's not like that. It's, it's you know, the way I talk with, with my team is, you know, unfortunately in our profession in accounting, <clears throat> kind of from the day you enter the profession, you're measured just based on your output. Um, and that's not something that's just unique to accounting, but anything that's going to just increase your output in general, whether you're a solo small business owner, whether you're working for the man, it, you know, that's, that's what gives you that space and freedom to, you know, have time to do other challenges and that sort of thing. So I make it, you know, I, the way I talk with my team is we always have to be investing in ourselves. It's easy to get sucked into, and a lot of times easier to get sucked into the hustle and bustle of doing whatever our clients ask us to do. But every week you need to be carving out time to kind of invest in yourself and and work on you know the aspects of 
of what you do that are painful um, that you can kind of iterate on and and improve a little bit with each iteration. Yeah, and I always love pitching it as the, uh, hey, this is going to make your job easier and it's going to make you have to do the part that you hate less frequently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and you know, the the scorecarding example is is totally an example of something that's new, that, you know, was never done before that's making people better at their jobs. So there's also, there's also tech that is simply going to be adding things, not necessarily eliminating a function, but mm. the scorecarding is a great example of this is information we just never had before. And it's not only going to make the business owner more successful, it's going to, it's going to enable all of the stakeholders, you know, to be in better alignment. Um, so that in theory, you know, everybody is, is producing and, and in better alignment about what, what the expectations are for them. And that's, that's a win for everybody. Yeah, I totally agree. So, if you had to pick a favorite no-code tool or a few favorites, if you can't pick just one, <laughs> what would your favorite tool be? Oh, man. Um, I know, it's a super hard question. <laughs> it is. So I think Zapier is the best place to start when you're learning about API integration. But my favorite is Integramat because it is like Zapier in that it's doing the same things, but it's a more visual workflow. So mm. building more complex kind of branching logic is a lot easier in Integramat. It's also a lot cheaper. Like any sort of any sort of, you know, production or scale that you're using it for, it's Integramat is just ridiculously inexpensive given the value that it can give you. So that's kind of the backbone of what we do. Um and then we also do a lot of stuff in Airtable. So Airtable, we find, ends up being kind of the glue for a lot of things because the world we live in runs on databases. Like virtually all of the systems we use are backed up by a flat you know, database. And so as we're kind of stitching things together that are bespoke applications, you almost always need some sort of some sort of database to, you know, track who are all the people this is supposed to be sent out to and what's the Slack channel ID that it needs to go to or the SMS number you need to send it to. Like that's that's all stuff that you need some sort of database to back. And so we almost always find ourselves pulling in, pulling in Airtable for that sort of thing. Yeah, I have a similar. There are some where I keep going, oh, maybe I can move this off of Airtable into its own um, platform, like ClickUp. There's some stuff yeah. where like, I absolutely adore ClickUp. It's yeah. probably my favorite. Uh, but there are some things where you still like custom fields you still can't stick it in there with the api and i yep. fall back to airtable as the default on just about anything that i'm trying to kind of keep data on so i completely yes. agree with you there and i think yeah, the, I, this is this the is how we first met so exciting it? yes it was <laughs> <laughs> Ge geeking out on ClickUp. How how weird is that? Um, yeah, I'm really excited to check out the new Airtable automations and mm -hmm. um, see kind of what that capability really is. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what's a technology trend that you're really excited about or kind of most interested to see what happens with? Oh, um, probably just kind of the democratization of, of bespoke software development. Um, the, the kind of I, notion in the past was that 
building products was reserved for big companies because you had to have a big development budget. You had to have a team to manage it and all of that. But when you break that down and anybody can build bespoke applications, what does that kind of universe look like? For me, you know, the the age old hustle of the accounting firm has always, you know, historically been trading time for money. And I'm a big advocate of getting away from that with, you know, value billing and stuff like that. But the other dimension to look at there is for any service business, you've got kind of a spectrum of what you're selling. It can be on the service end of the spectrum or the product end of the spectrum. And so over time, I think of that as kind of two different lines for your business. How do you over time build the product um, the product aspect of your business without undermining you know the human element that comes with the service business? But there's historically there's been a notion that you know building products is for the big players and we're here to be the human beings. But I think now that's open to anybody. So, I'm really interested in the idea of of building products. You know, the scorecarding is a great example. It's something we don't have to spend any time managing that provides a tremendous amount of value. So I'm interested in in service businesses to a degree kind of getting into the product game because they see the really niche issues that their clients have. They've got they understand the nuance that some other big company will not understand because it's going to be different person to person, industry to industry. So tech enabling productization is something that that I'm excited about. Cool. Yes. Uh, so is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't touched on yet? I think we touched on everything. You know, no code is something that I am really into. Um, I think it has applications to just about anybody. Um, that's that's kind of front of mind for me, even though I wear, you know, the CPA hat all day long. I think it's something that's hugely relevant in what I do, but to all of my clients too. So that's that's the big thing for me right now. Awesome. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do? So I spend most of my time in three places. First is on Twitter, JSTATS, CPA, S-T-A-A-T-S. Second, I've got a, uh, it's an accounting tech discovery newsletter, uh, launchfa.com. And then lastly, I'm building a, a community for uh, accountants and advisors to do just kind of the stuff that we're talking about, like work together to learn no code, to build stuff like that scorecarding framework together. Um, I think left to our own devices, we do a lot of the same things in parallel, whereas we could be building really robust versions of these things working together and that that kind of helps everybody. So um, anyway, so I'm building a community kind of around that concept called Realize and that's at rlz.io. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. You bet. This is fun. As you can tell from our discussion, the potential to use these kinds of tools to manage both internal and external workflows is kind of unlimited. But if you're just thinking about getting started, don't try and do everything all at once because you'll just get super overwhelmed. Just look at one piece of your process and see if there's a way to deliver that more efficiently. Like Jason and I talked about. Could you start automating some communication? You probably don't need a new software for that. Most of us already use an email marketing platform or at a minimum, we have an email provider. 
So I'll use an example from ScaleSpark. So when you buy an action plan, you book through Calendly. That allows you to both pay for the service and to schedule the interview call. Then I use Zapier to send an email with instructions about how the process work. It requests key pieces of information like access to the accounting and the project management tools. And it includes a link to the onboarding questionnaire that's hosted on Paperform, which is a form software. So within just a few minutes of purchasing, my client gets all the information they need to get started on collecting and sending me everything I need to get to work. And I haven't lifted a finger to make it happen. I could have been on client calls all day or out of the office sitting on a beach and the process still happens. Every client gets the same information. So I never forget to mention anything or forget to ask for a piece of information that I need from them. And they don't have to wait for me to have time to send them that email. They can just jump right in when they are most excited about getting to work. And every time I run through the process, I can improve that email slightly. Maybe there's an opportunity to clarify something or answer a question that came up so that I can proactively answer the next client's questions before they even have them. And my process improves iteratively over time. Now that's just one piece of that process, that communication piece, but there's also a bunch of internal stuff that happens. My client and the project templates get created inside of ClickUp. My client folders and templates get created inside of Google Drive, but all that evolved. It started as just a Calendly link that made it easier for clients to pay and pick a time to do our interview. And over four years of offering the service, the process has improved. I've automated more of it. And now a lot of it is pretty hands-off except for the actual work that I need to be involved in, that customized stuff, the interview, the strategy, the stuff that only I can do. And between this and some of Jason's examples, these are really just scratching the surface of what you can do to automate your workflow and make it more efficient. The possibilities are only limited by what you can dream up here. But the real takeaway is that no-code apps can really be an amazing tool that you can use to help raise that capacity ceiling in a pretty low-cost, low-effort kind of way. There's no need to hire and train someone or to create a new position. And once you've invested the effort one time to define the process and set it up, it runs whether you're in the office or out of it. It means your clients get a consistent level of service, great communication and a quick response time. And your business becomes more resilient because these processes happen even if you have to take a sick day. Next week, I'm talking to Brittany Berger all about how she uses no-code software to build additional revenue streams for her business, add value to her community and make her own life easier. So hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Rundbeck.